I'd like to ask my two assistants to hand out copies of the handout. And um, please don't open it up until I tell you to. It's, going, it's folded to hide a part in the middle. And we've got an an amazing turnout today, and I didn't print enough of them. So if it's a couple, you will have to share. So we've got actually now to the the second half of chapter two, and it's the fifth part of of our series in Ephesians. And my goal today is to see how radical this teaching is and understand what it demands from us. I'm going to do a quick recap. We start with the we started with the epic poem that opens Ephesians, and we looked at how it's one long sentence from verse three all the way to verse fourteen, an exquisitely constructed jewel of a sentence, poetic in its structure, and how it would have been read aloud. The whole book would have been read aloud as a public event, and we just looked at the the the, the wonderful summary of what Paul's teaching is in that passage. And then the second one, we looked at Paul's prayer for us and how he takes the three core parts of this epic poem and turns them into a prayer. And the prayer is about the past, the present, and the future. And then um, we talked about the beginning of chapter 2, and I've used a picture here because my title was Jesus Joined to Us. And my illustration was the the, the uh, super tanker Torrey Canyon that was going down just south of the English coast, sinking, and as it's about to sink, rescue helicopters come overhead and winch people off the deck. And as a cable is lowered from the helicopter with a harness on the end, when the sailor clipped the harness around them, at that point where it clicked shut, their destiny was connected to their helicopter and not to the ship. And if the ship went down, they would just be hanging there, connected to the helicopter. And the core message that Paul gives us about the gospel in the beginning of Ephesians 2 is it's about being joined to Jesus, connected to him, because then our future is connected to him. He was raised from the dead, and so we will be raised. He will spend eternity in glory, so will we be. Sin was punished in him, so it's we are we don't suffer from it. And so that's the core of that part. Last time we looked at our identity cards and how we can we can live out our identity. That was from chapter two as well. And then today my title is The Sum is Greater Than the Parts, and I want to look at the poetry and the power of this passage. I want to look at the response required from the original hearers when they got this letter, and then the response required from us. So, let's start reading the passage. Before you open it, I want to read it like it is, and we're going to be seeing um, uh, this incredible passage. And I just want to say, um, so this is my translation of it from the original Greek. I've spent a lot of time really trying to get it really faithful in the way it's done. And also, I've done a lot of research and study is in terms of like how the poetry works in this passage. And it's just beautiful. And so I've given it as a handout because I want you to see the beauty of this passage. So you can look at what you've got now on the screen. It's the same as what's in front of you. And uh, we have... So remember 
that once you were Gentiles in the flesh, those called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised done in the flesh by human hands. Now, you'll notice uh, those four lines. The first line matches the fourth line. Gentiles in the flesh, and then the fourth line is done in the flesh. And then the middle two lines, uncircumcised, circumcised. This is a very common construction in ancient poetry. The technical name is called a chiasm, and really it's A-B-B-A. And so you start off with an idea, you have, you have an idea that flows from it, often you switch it around then, and you come back to the original idea. And um, so this is, is common all the way through this, because it's the way poetry was done in those days. They didn't rhyme their poetry like we rhyme poetry. It's more, um, more things like this, and also the, the, um, the way the, the Greek is written in a particular structure. So anyway, uh, so this is how it starts. This is what you were once. This is you. And he's writing to a church. There's probably more Gentiles than Jews in this church. And so he's writing, this is what you were. You were Gentiles in the flesh. And then, verse 12, at that time, you were separate from Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. And so this is a um, situation in the Old Testament. If you wanted to follow God, you actually had to become a Jew. And people did that. They could follow that process of becoming a Jew. But that was the only, the only hope you had, because Gentiles were not accepted. Then we have the, the yellow. Now, the yellow that you have there is a key, a key verse in this passage. And you can see it follows the same four lines. Now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And you'll see that um, this is now. Previously in verse, tw- uh, in verse 11 and verse 12, it was then at that time. But this is now. You who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, in our English translation, it's just, it's just the words that are written there. But in the original, there's kind of a beauty to the way it's balanced and it just feels good as you read it. It's got this kind of poetic balance. You'll just have to take my word from that. And uh, I've tried to use colors to make it, look, make it look cool, but it's really cool in the original. Then we have, and we're skipping over the fold there, we have an almost identical sentence. And he came and proclaimed peace to you who are far away, and peace to you who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What's the difference between the verse 13 and verse 17 there? Can you spot any difference? Apart from... Um, yeah. hmm? Peace, right, peace is there. Okay. The other thing is that Verse 13 is just addressed to Gentiles. You who are far away have been brought near. Verse 17 is actually peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. Do you see that? So actually, we've done a little switch now. We've got both Jews and Gentiles in verse 17. And we'll see in a minute what what goes on in the center that causes this switch. So then we have verse 19 is the mirror of verse 12. So verse 19 you were aliens, 
and not citizens, foreigners. And now, so then you are no longer foreigners without homes, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. The word without homes, uh, it's... it's uh, some older translations say sojourners, but I've translated it as without homes because it has, it, it has the word home in it, which corresponds to being of the household of God. It's like the opposite. You were householdless, but now you're part of a household. So this is this beautiful reversal of where things are. And then we have the ending, which is a climax, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the cornerstone being Christ Jesus himself, In him, the whole structure being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Okay, any questions on that before we open the fold? What do you think? It's cool, isn't it? It's really neat just to see the way there's this balance and yet there's a big difference. And the focus is going to be on, I've left it folded because the whole way it's written is it's focusing on what has happened. What is it that's happened in the middle? Okay, you're allowed to unfold it. When I unfold it, we see that we've got something in the middle which was actually a song. Now, scholars have debated this exactly how the, where the song um, how the wording works, but it's, it looks like there was a song that Paul's put in the middle, and I'm going to call it the Song of Peace. And this song, it could have been one that they already knew and they already sang. It could have been one that Paul has written for this letter. The chances are, what scholars suggest, is that they already knew it, but Paul has done some tweaks. He's made some changes, because it looks like it's got some bits added to it to like explain what he's saying. But we, can, we can't find that out until heaven, exactly what, what happened. And that really doesn't matter because it's beautiful as it is. And it follows the same idea with um, A, B, C, D, C, B, A. So you start off with peace, for he himself is our peace. And you end up with making peace there in the green. And then you have uh, making the two one on the second line there. Making the two one. And then the second to last, the middle, the second line of verse 15 says that the two he might create in himself into one new human. How has this happened? Well, it says breaking down the dividing wall of partition in verse 14. Breaking down, I'm just going to highlight it for you so you know where I'm going. Breaking down the dividing wall of partition. Um, Cancelling the law of commands and regulations, the hostility in his flesh. So what he did is on the cross, he took all of the law on himself, all of the laws of Moses, and actually bore the price of the failure, but he also took the law away by doing that. So the law was, was dealt with and no longer stands over us. So... All of these laws in Leviticus that Israelites had to keep, you know, these hundreds and hundreds of laws, they were dealt with by Christ on the cross. No longer do those laws have to be kept. Uh, He in himself, like all the sacrifices, he is the one sacrifice that finishes them all. He is the one. 
And so uh, what he did then, in this beautiful way, is he destroyed the wall that separated Jews and Gentiles. Because, you know, Jews couldn't, could ha- would have trouble meeting with Gentiles because, you know, they're unclean, you couldn't eat together, their food is different, it's not kosher. It's all of these things would keep them apart. And it's like a dividing wall between them. Um, it's, it's interesting. Um, we live in a house which is, uh, which is a semi, so it's got a duplex. A duplex. So it's got a, a dividing wall down between the half that we live in and the other half. And as I was writing this, I was, um, I was thinking the wall in front of me is the dividing wall, a partition. And, and there was actually a partition in the temple that the Jews couldn't come in this, uh, in, in this, uh, Sorry, the Gentiles couldn't come closer than a particular place in the temple. So this beautifully illustrates, and you see the way it's balanced. We start with peace. He's our peace. And in the middle, our hostility is dealt with, and then we end up with peace. So this is the song of peace that Jesus in himself has created peace. In his own body, he's destroyed the partitioning wall. He's destroyed the barrier. He's knocked it down so the two can become one. Um, and there's a kind of a little bit, there's, there's a bit more than that. One new human. Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. What is that about? It's, that sounds um, kind of a little bit more. The, the, you'll notice then verse 16 is there. And verse 16, it's a kind of a development of this. So it ends with making peace in verse 15. And this is peace between Jew and Gentile. But then he goes back into the song back into the second line, which is the 2-1. But now it's the 2-1 being reconciled to God. So no longer is it Jew and Gentile being reconciled together, but it's Jew and Gentile together being reconciled to God. So both in one body reconciled to God, and now the hostility that's broken down is the hostility not between Jew and Gentile, but between humanity and God. And so he's added this little bit on the end, which could have been a bit that he's added to the original song, or it could have been there, we, we'll never know. But, um, but um, it, it just fits together beautifully because it shows that Jesus is peace. He's the peace, not just, because, not just between different groups of people, but between us and God. And he's, done, he's created peace by taking it on himself, by taking the hostility on himself. Isn't that beautiful? Like that he would, the hostility is taken on him so that we can have peace. And I just want to say, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're interested in these things and you want to know more, this is the core of the gospel. Verse 16 is the core that, that through the cross, he takes that anger, that hostility because of what we've done on himself, covers that so we can have peace with God. So this then is the the engine that drives the whole of the passage, that drives the change between what you once were and what you are in future. And also, when we noticed that verse 17 was a little different, we saw that verse 17 has got the word peace in it now. And now you know where it's from. Verse 17, that peace is from the poem. And also, um, it's also got this extra bit about accessing the Father through this new way that Jesus has made. And uh, you may have noticed a few places where the Trinity is mentioned. We have through him, uh, Jesus, 
Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. So it's rather cool. That's, there's a, quite a few places in the New Testament where it doesn't explicitly use the word Trinity, but it's got the three there, just woven in to the tapestry. Okay, so let's look then at... Um, uh, that's the poetry and the power, part one. Now I want to look at the response required from the original hearers. And um, I'd like to look at um, uh, three messages to the original hearers. Now when you look at this, this passage in front of you, before we opened it up, the main message you'd get from it is from foreigners far away to family near. That's the kind of the... the, the uh, big message. Once you are foreigners, you are far away, now you are family, you're near. And um, so I would say the original hearers, when they read that, mostly Gentiles, when they read that, they would be, um, actually let me just go to, they would be encouraged that they belong. They would be encouraged that they belong. So here are these people, and, and you have to understand what it was like for them that these, uh, these Gentiles, they're coming into this, this religion, and it all seems to be about Jews. And like all the scriptures, because the, you know, the Old Testament was the main scripture then, all, it's all about Jews. Like, where do I belong here? Where am I? Am I like, do I belong as part of this? Is this my religion? What is this? And this is so important for them at that time to see where they belonged. So they can read the Old Testament and they can see, oh, this is promised to Abraham. Oh, but I'm part of that promise. And here's God's love to Israel. Oh, but I'm part of that. To fit themselves in. So this is critical for to write into these people they would understand where what they, where they were, how they fitted in, um, so that's the that's um, the first thing I think they can learn from it. The second is the teaching: the law, div, the law is divided, and they are demolished. So that was the bit we got from the middle when we opened it up, and this is the song, and this is again this is critical because can you imagine the confusion? And there was confusion to start with. You know, should Gentiles be circumcised? Do they have to follow the same laws? Do they, like, what is it? Once they become Christians, what happens? And uh, there's a Jerusalem council, and they were very clear, no, they don't have to follow the law. But then, what's going on? Why don't we have to? And so, they, you can imagine them carrying some guilt around and thinking, you know, these Jews are so holy because they do all of these things, but I'm just a Gentile. Like, who am I? I don't follow these laws. And so this, as they read this passage, if you imagine you're a Gentile create, saved at that time, and you're reading this, and you, you could see how freeing it could be that you didn't have to follow these things. In fact, the Jews don't have to follow them anymore. They're gone. They're dealt with in Christ. So the original hearers then, this would have been so important for them to get this from the song in the middle. Um, <clears throat> But then, uh, so, so uh, oh, there's one more thing here, yeah, I ought to say from those times, but this is very important. Um, this is about the effects of the wall. Now, would it have been okay if Paul had decided, had, had um, allowed, had decided that there should be 
Jewish churches and Gentile churches, separate churches in the same cities. Would Paul be okay with that? Do you think? I don't think Paul would have been happy with that at all. Oh, let's solve this problem about division between the churches. We'll have Jewish churches and Gentile churches. And if you're a Jew, you go there. Then we don't have any fights, no problems. Is that what Paul would have been happy with? Would he, what would he have thought if that, he saw that happening? What would he have said? Yeah, he would have been very, very, very upset with this. Um, uh, why is that? Is not tearing down the visions, but there was something else behind that. So he wants them to tear down the effects of the wall. He wants them in the church to actually remove things which are causing division. Like actually stop doing things which might cause division. So, for example, supposing some of the Jews were having a, doing a special celebration, but you know you can only come to it if you're one of the Jews. You can't. The Gentiles can't come to this because it's part of our Old Testament heritage. That's got to go. That's got to go. It's got to be one thing they can all do. This is not just a nice thing. This is critical to the message here. But there's something else as well. There's a new unity which will create something extraordinary. And I really want you to get this. The language is very, very strong in these verses. And I want to just uh, flip back to um, verse... Let's look at... Here we go. Verse 15. It says that he, the two, the two, he might create in himself into one new human. What's this? There's something new being created by breaking down the wall. Something, and that's why I've titled this message that the sum is greater than the parts. It's not just it's nicer and happier to have a church without the the two, but there's something special that's going to happen. And that, it develops that at the end here, that actually the old temple's gone, but you're building a new temple, a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God. Now, we can read, we can be familiar with this verse and we lose the impact of it because it's familiar, but this is extraordinary. That we, here at New Life can be a dwelling place of God? Wow. I mean, for him to, when he came into the temple, there was the Shekinah glory that came down that, you know, they couldn't even stand. It was so bright. He's saying that we can be his dwelling place. Actually, the way the words, the words worked, we are being built, being fitted together. And the tense there is it's a present growth that's happening. It's not that we're finished, but something is happening in God's plan. And so I would say that if Paul was going to explain this to us, what what he wanted the church to respond to it, it's not, it's good. It's really important that we have unity. It's really important we we tie, we, we tear down this division between us. But actually, it, it unlocks something new. It unlocks God's presence. That when God sees the two becoming one, something happens in the, in the, in the, in the uh, spiritual realm. And uh, he's saying, when you build a church, and it's not just one group that's, that's doing everything, the other group are just coming, but actually the church is being built from all, the, all parts fitted together. Everyone's fitted together. And that's the, the expression here. 
You're also being built together. The structure's being fitted together. Then something else happens. Something new happens. I mean, can you imagine you get some Ikea furniture and what's made of? It's made of wood and metal and foam and, and cloth. Okay? Supposing you say, well, I'm going to build this, but you're not going to leave out the metal bits. How well is that going to work? No, it's not, is it? No. And this is how God has designed the church. That actually, it's not just it's nice to have everybody, but actually he's designed it so that when you, you've actually got to have all the bits for it to work. And what he's saying is that, there's some, that, that, that a church without the Jews isn't going to really work properly or one without the Gentiles, it's got to be both of them because they have something to bring which is is core to the way things are going. Now, I'm just telling you what he's saying. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to really reflect to you what the message here is and how that works out in practice we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so, I also said that this is growing, it's happening, and we're not, yet, not there yet. And I'm going to touch on something now. I'm going to throw something in which I don't completely understand, but I don't think I'd be doing justice to this passage if I didn't tell you about it. There is a hint in this passage that there is something that we haven't got to yet. We're not there in verse 22 right now. No churches are there. Sometimes we get better and sometimes we... But there's a pointer towards something God is going to do in the future. There's something God is working towards. And in Romans 11, Romans 9 to 11 talk about the future of ethnic Jews, the future of Israel. And he concludes it by giving some hints that, that before Christ returns, there's going to be a great revival of Israel and it's going to be a coming together with the Gentiles into something new. And he uses the expression in 11.15, life from the dead, is when this revival amongst the Jews. Life from the dead for the church of God. So I'm going to suggest to you that um, all of this stuff we can apply right now today in our church. But I'm hopeful and I'm praying that we're going to see something even better when we see Jews across the world turning to God and actually joining uh, together with Gentiles. And we may have some Jews here, I don't know, but like I'm talking about, about significant numbers joining together and doing something new. I'm putting that in there because I believe the scriptures say it. I can't explain anything more than I've said now. Uh, I can't start giving you timelines and charts and, and all sorts of... So I'm not into that kind of thing. All I can do is say there is definitely something there in, in, in Revelation 11 that, that there is an expectancy before God returns. He's going to do something amazing. There's an expectation in this passage. However, um, so we respond to that by preaching the gospel. You know, We want to reach Jews as well as Gentiles with the gospel. And that's how we respond to that. But what I would like to do now is to, to end today in my third, with my third point about how we are to respond to this message. So, um, uh, oh, I just, just one more thing. I wanted to quote from Galatians 2. Um, <clears throat> Galatians 2, um, Paul is writing about a problem that Peter had, when Peter lacked some clarity at one point about this whole subject, Peter and Cephas, it's the same name, it's um, 
Peter's other name. So when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why did Paul oppose Peter? It was something very serious. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. In other words, the hardcore Jewish group. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So in other words, they're not eating with Gentiles. Can you imagine that? If after church we said, okay, all of one group can eat over there, but the other, other group have to eat over here, you know, that's what was happening. Extraordinary. And Paul gets very angry and says, when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I spoke to Cephas before them all. He called him out on this. So we can say without any doubt that Paul um, was adamant that this should not happen in practice in the churches. So um, let's look then at the response required from us. And I'm going to suggest to you uh, the the, the, as I've divided into three parts here, the first part, the whole passage, foreigners far away to family near, that you and I can do what the Gentiles in the early church did, and we can see how we belong in the Old Testament. You know, you read the stories, you read Abraham, you read you know, the nation of Israel and so on, and you have to read yourself into that. What do I mean? Well, God had a passionate love for his people. Like he was so committed, even when they did really bad stuff, he brought them back. He never let go of Israel. He had such love for them. He had such love for Abraham, the way he was there for for Isaac, for Jacob, and all the bad stuff Jacob did, and God was there. And he says, we are to be write ourselves into that story. We are one of them. We are members of that household. And so when you read the Old Testament, and you see God's commitment to his people, you are one of those people. So that's my first response from us. And that's from the whole passage, but not from the middle bit. So if we turn to the middle bit, the law divided, they're demolished. And I want to say, uh, first of all, to call down, to tear down the effects of walls today. Now, we have walls in churches, don't we? And we have... Uh, we have um, Different kinds of churches. And um, uh, often Christians are separated by rules other than the rules that Jesus gave. Like, you know, uh, when you have to dress like this or behave like this when you come to church, uh, obviously there are things that, that Jesus wouldn't want you to behave or dress like, but we can be separate on the basis of these rules. But very often it's not the rules, but it's the ways of doing church that divide us. So I want to ask you, um, is it okay, would it be okay today to have Jewish churches and Gentile churches? Like if a lot of Jews got saved, should it be okay for them to have their own church? No, not at all. So is it okay to have ethnic churches? We've got a lot of ethnic churches in Toronto. Is that okay? I've got some head shaking. Yeah. Yeah, so Anne says we still suffer the effects of the Tower of Babel, which means lots of different languages. So I, 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 would, um, I would say that that's, that's right, that it's not the ideal, but practically speaking, if you don't share the language, it is harder to do church, but you need to recognize that um, 
that that is not the ideal. And so I've, there are churches I know of where they would have like two congregations, but they would like maybe have, um, you, sometimes they would have separate preaching. Like I've been to a Chinese church where once a month they got a, an English speaking preacher and they translated them. And, uh, they would try and like deliberately, and they had their youth coming up who were English speaking, and they would try and like blend everything together and recognize that this is where they're heading. Otherwise, the next generation in the ethnic churches often leave the church and go to a, to an English speaking church. And that's not good. So, what I'm, so I want to say is that practically speaking, um, you, you have a language problem, and so something does have to be done to, to, to reach that problem. We do have to think hard about uh, really trying to, to not create lots of separate congregations. Uh, and, you know, we need creative ideas about that. But I want to say there's another reason. There's another reason. And that reason is we are missing out if we have ethnic congregations. Because that congregation is like the metal bits in the IKEA kit. And that's like the wooden bits. And that's the cough bits. And we can't build what God wants us to if we don't have all the bits. And so the main reason for not having ethnic churches is not because it's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's not optimal. It's not the, we're not benefiting as we can do. And what we need to do um, in, 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 a, in a church is to actually build with all of the parts. And that includes um, uh, churches like ours where we've got all kinds of ethnicities here. We need to make use of all the different parts that are here because God has brought everybody and given everybody a unique, uh, uh, something unique which is needed for building the kind of thing God wants to dwell in. And also, God loves it when we do that. So God's presence is, uh, is there. So, uh, so the, the tearing down of the walls is, I think, um, doesn't mean to say you, you make it illegal to have ethnic churches. It means that you just think carefully about how can we actually create uh, unity between groups and, and within groups. So the third one is this unity will create something extraordinary and this is, I've just really mentioned, this is directions for building, like we need to build with all the parts that are here. And when we get on to chapter four, I'm going to be talking a lot more about this because the second part of Ephesians is really developing this. Paul's laying the groundwork here and it's going to be developed. So <clears throat> let's just uh, sum up now with my last slide. Uh, from foreigners far away to family near, I want you to feel how you belong as you read God's compassion and commitment to his people in the Old Testament. So that's how I want you to respond. I want you to do that, this feel. Um, uh, and so, you know, when David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, he's writing this for you. He's your shepherd as well. When, when, when the prophets are pouring out their hearts for, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you are part of that. The second one, the laws divided and they're demolished. Don't allow your inner judge to constantly condemn you. Does anybody here have an inner judge? If your hand isn't raised, you're lying, okay? <laughs> so, so that inner judge has been crucified on the cross, okay? Been crucified on the cross. And this, um, 
This doesn't explicitly say this in the passage, but I think this is very much comes out of the song here in the middle of the passage, the song of peace. You're not going to have peace from your inner judge unless you're singing this song of peace. And the song of peace is about the hostility between the law and you. And Jesus has paid the price. This doesn't mean to say that, you know, you, you, don't, you, you, should, you do things wrong. Of course you do. But you don't allow that judge to smash you down. Sing the song of peace, that song of joy. And my last point is unity will create something extraordinary. God is so pleased when you step out of your comfort zone and connect with someone very different. So this is a personal application for each one of us. Um, it's obviously, we, we find it easier to communicate with people that we're familiar with, but I'm challenging you that it pleases God when you step out of your comfort zone and you build a bridge in a conversation with somebody you might not normally talk to. Um, um, building that bridge of unity because it's from that that the body grows together. So, so um, I hope that you're blessed by this passage of Scripture. I hope you can take it home and just read that through and allow the power of it to, to, to speak to you. Um, I think that um, it, it was written as a song. It's not preserved how that song is to be sung. Uh, it's interesting that Colossians has got the song at the beginning. And with Colossians' song, I actually sang it to you, didn't I? I'm not going to do it with this song. But... Um, I think it would be great to let me try and write that song in a way that we can sing it. Because, but nevertheless, you can, you can read it and like sing it to yourself and just feel the joy of that, that, that a law being smashed down by Jesus and he's broken it and you're free. The hostility is gone. So let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Lord, that you have taken all this anger on yourself, taken this hostility on yourself, taken all this horrible... Um, uh, destruction on yourself so that we can be free and we can have joy and we can have peace. And thank you, you're building us up together because you want to live in us and with us that we'll be filled with your glory. Thank you, Lord. Help us to walk in the truth that you're calling us into now, personally and as a church, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.